We are living in a world where we are overstressed, overworked, overmedicated, and we're allowing anxiety, fear, and depression to run our lives. It's time we take a different kind of prescription to help remove our pain and get us back to living with the energy, focus, and enthusiasm that we all want to have. Every week, I promise to bring you education, strategies, and deep discussions that will help you become more resilient and eradicate stress-induced depression from your life. My name is Ryan Caligiuri, and welcome to The Resilience Prescription. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of The Cut the Crap Show. It's part of The Resilience Prescription. And uh, man, I got to tell you, I just love getting back here doing these episodes. This week, we have a great episode. It's uh, Broadcasting Happiness with Michelle Geelan. Michelle's an awesome individual. It's a pleasure talking to her. And uh, real quick, if you want to download the summary of this, the golden nuggets, the PDF, my friends at Get Abstract made that available to you. All you got to do is go to, hold on a second. See, I pulled this up and I forgot the link already. And they screwed up the link again. It's all right. I'll get them to fix it up on the next time around. But go to getab, so G-E-T-A-B dot L-I slash R-X-X happiness. That's H-A-P-P-I. N-E-S-S. Again, that's getab.li slash R-X-X. Happiness, supposed to be R-R-X, but whatever. They'll fix it up on the next one. I love them anyways. But go ahead, download it. You got seven days to download that summary. Just go to the link, save it, download it, keep it on your computer for future reference. But again, I want to do this so that you have the golden nuggets with you in the podcast format, but also in written form as well. Just trying to make it easier for you. So again, this episode's a solid one. I will also do the call to action at the very end of the episode. So tune in, sit back, enjoy. And uh, as usual, if you enjoyed it, please hit me up on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok even. Just let me know that uh, you found me through the show. Let me know how much you enjoyed this episode. In any case, let's get into it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of The Cut the Crap Show as part of the Resilience Prescription very, very excited today to bring you our guest, the author of Broadcasting Happiness, The Science of Igniting and Sustaining Positive Change, Michelle Gielin. Michelle, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be with you. Oh, and uh, we have been trying to get together for so long, so I'm glad that we got you on the show finally, and uh, I'm glad that we're talking about this book, because I know a lot of you <laughs> listeners out there have been looking forward to me covering this book for quite some time, so uh, very, very excited about that. Um, before uh-huh. we kick into this, Michelle, people who don't know you yet, maybe tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you wrote this book in the first place. Yeah, so I wrote this book because I'm so passionate about the research that's come out of positive psychology and neuroscience about how you can train your brain to experience greater levels of well-being at any point in your life, and how when you do that, it actually fuels every single business, educational, and health outcome that we know how to track. So makes you more productive, increases your levels of energy, uh, makes you more engaged with the people around you, happier, and lower levels of stress. Uh, You know, the research studies go on and on. Um, So why I decided to write Broadcasting Happiness was that uh, I I think this research is so applicable to every aspect of our lives. The reason for the title is that I was originally a broadcaster. I was a network and news anchor with CBS News, mm-hmm. and now I'm a happiness researcher. So <laughs> just basically <laughs> combine both. Um, so uh, and so, what I do is I apply all that I learned with the media training and the experience being on national television 
with this research and, and talk about how you can communicate a more positive and optimistic mindset to the people around you, how you can also get your brain to a more positive place when we're feeling stressed or stuck, mm-hmm. and, then, uh, and then share the research on how this actually has a, a positive ripple effect on everyone that you come into contact with. We all want to know how to be happier. We all want to focus on positive psychology. We all want to focus on resilience. And this book is all about that. So I'm excited to dig into this with you, Michelle. And one of the first things that I really want to talk to you about was this idea of positive energy. Like, What does positive energy look like? What is it? And how can we get more of it in our lives? Yeah, positive energy is where I believe it's a result of consciously making a choice to see the world in a more optimistic and empowered way. And to your point, you know, you talk, you mentioned resilience. I mean, resilience, I feel like is the other side of the coin of, of happiness. You can't have one without the other. And when we fuel one in our lives, we end up inadvertently fueling the other as well. Um, so, uh, the, you know, the research that we look at uh, you know, really wraps around this idea that our mindset is malleable at any point in our lives. One research study in particular that I love, that I cite all the time at the talks I give at companies, that um, when we broadcast a more positive and optimistic mindset to the people around us, uh, especially in a business setting, for instance, where a manager praises his uh, team for all that they're already doing right, um, we actually fuel other people's levels of productive energy, um, increasing it in this particular study by 31% in three weeks. Um, we do that for ourselves and our own brain when we focus on uh, seeing the world in a more positive and optimistic way as well. Positive energy, creating positive attitude. Uh, you know, sometimes it's 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 unfortunate because we sometimes mistake it for just this fluffy thing and oh, positive energy. No, I'm a realist, Ryan. I'm a realist, Michelle. You know, <laughs> being being positive, sugarcoating things. That's not what I'm about. I'm a real person. Hey, listen. Having a positive psychology doesn't mean that you you put the blinders on, not at all. But what it means is that you're focused on finding the positive from that negative. You're going to reframe that perspective. Um, you might find gratitude out of learning something that maybe, you know, put you back a little bit. There's no such thing as a setback if you're looking for the setup. Find the setup from the setback. Yeah. Find the lesson from your failure, right? Like we're not discounting the fact that bad stuff happens. We all know bad stuff happens. The difference between people who think positive psychology or come from um, a place of positive psychology versus negative is we're always looking for something to learn from that, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, absolutely. It, it, it's a big difference. And so that's something that I really want all of us out there to really key in on. And we're going to dig deeper into that as we continue our conversation here. But uh, one of the next golden nuggets I really want to cover off here, Michelle, is this idea of workplace positivity. Because we, for the most part, we all work in organizations. People who are listening to this, you're all working into a company and there's a lot of positive people, negative people. There's a whole bunch of folks, but we spend the majority of our time every week in work. So having a positive environment is really important, but we often think we have no control over our environments at work. But I found it interesting. In the book, you say that Ordinary friends and colleagues are more successful influencers than bosses with fancy titles. So that's an interesting thing to say. So what did you mean by that first off? And how does that fuel like positive psychology in an organization? Well, too often we have consciously or unconsciously bought bought into uh, a belief about society. So, you know, I want everyone to think to themselves, how many times have they ever heard someone say to them, you know what, you can't change other people. 
you know, when I ask this to a room full of people I'm speaking to at a company, I literally get 85% of the room raising their hand. Hmm. Uh, the problem with that thought, you can't change other people, is that not only is it disempowering, it's actually scientifically false. We're changing people all the time. There's a great study done at the University of California, Riverside, where the researchers there got strangers to sit in the room together. So these are groups of three people who've never met before. They're asked to sit in a room in, for just two minutes in silence. The researchers tested the participants' moods before and after. And what they found was the person in the room who was most non-verbally expressive of their mood and mindset actually significantly influenced the mood and mindset of the other two people. So if that person was really negative, had a scowl on their face, had the arms crossed, they made the other two people feel more negative. Meanwhile, if they were positive, you know, they had a smile on their face, they were light and, and transmitting that, that actually made other two people feel happier and more positive. No. So that's in two minutes in silence. Imagine if we speak up, if we have mm. a consistent exposure to somebody, what we can do to transform them. And the reason why oftentimes people who we're close with or a colleague that we see all the time can be more influential than the boss that we might see every two weeks is because mm. uh, we have something with them that is it sort of, uh, you know, is, is the... Um, the pathway by which they influence us. It's that mm. social connection that, you know, I, I know that sometimes people might think, oh, well, but I, I've tried to change somebody and it didn't work. You know, I've got this really negative <laughs> stats and I keep telling them why life is actually really great and they don't <laughs> seem to transform. The reason is, first of all, people don't always change on our schedule, right? But if you look at it over the trajectory of a period of time, they probably are transform me as evident as or as quick as you'd hoped. But I've had so many people come up to me and say, yeah, you know, I'm the positive person one uh, person in the marriage and my husband or yeah, it took some time, but I, they're changing and I think I'm having a positive impact. <laughs> so, <right>. so, uh, <laughs> so, um, and the other piece of it is that oftentimes, especially at companies, you know, when we think of business teams, the most negative person is also the person who's most expressive of their mindset, right? They're anxious, they're unhappy, and they're speaking up about it. And so we think, oh, this person is creating that culture. And you know what? That, that is true. They are uh, they're bringing down meetings. They're making people feel like they don't feel comfortable enough to express their ideas. When we look at who's most powerful, the positive person or the negative person in creating company culture, it's actually, it's not the most positive person, but it's not the most negative person either. It's the person who's most expressive of their mindset. Hmm. So in order to be able to take back control of a culture amongst your team or in your, with your family around the dinner table, we don't want to just let that negative person be expressive. And that's the end of the story. We also as more positive people want to speak up because that's how you can balance out the picture and also shift the culture. I encourage someone, you know, whenever they have an opportunity next time they're in a group setting, go in there and experiment with other people. <laughs> Try to bring that positive energy. Think about the questions you're asking, you know, instead of how are you, how about, Hey, so what's one great thing you've done since last time I saw you? Yes. Or how's that project, in, you know, instead of how's that project going, what's what's one uh, progress you've made, yes. uh, or one piece of progress you've made on that? You know, get their brain to that positive state and then totally. see what it does for them. Um, and, you know, I want to go back to something we were talking about earlier about mm -hmm. around positive energy. And we talked about realists because I think this is a really important point. Think about this research. Uh, it is 
so important to remember that um, what we're talking about when we talk about a positive mindset, in particular, optimism. When I start sharing this research and with people, sometimes they think, oh, rose-colored glasses, I'm going to ignore reality, like you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. Optimism is the expectation of good things to happen and the belief that our behavior matters. And if we're rational, we're taking a realistic assessment of the present moment while maintaining the belief that our behavior matters and we can and create those good outcomes, connect with other people, and we put we'll put front and center. I think where people start thinking when they start thinking about oh rose colored glasses and ignoring reality, really what that is that's irrational. I wouldn't even call it irrational optimism. It's just sort of an irrational take to the world, right? You're disconnecting from reality. You don't want to know about what's going on. You don't want to know about how you can solve problems. You just want to put on some pretty pink glasses on a beach somewhere, which I do actually recommend for two weeks a year. That's very good. <laughs> um, so I, I did a series of studies with Ariana Huffington, and it was uh, when I was very interested, and I still am, about what impact news can have on the brain and how to get our brain into a more resilient and optimistic state. And the first study, which I think everyone is going to resonate with, is that when we exposed research participants to just three minutes of negative news, it increased their chances of having a bad day by 27%. Wow. And that was mm. as reported six to eight hours later. But what I absolutely loved was that follow-up study that we did, which looked at what happens when you just expose people to problems versus you expose people to problems and a discussion of potential or actual solutions. What we found is that that group that just even just thought about what they could do about a particular problem they read about, they were actually 20% better on creative problem solving on subsequent unrelated tasks later on in the day. Wow. So what I think that tells us is when we don't disconnect from reality, but we actually understand what's happening in our lives, right? What's happening with uh, at work, the real picture about the progress we're making on a project, or what's happening in our relationships, or our child, if our child is in not doing well in math. We need to really understand the issue. But in the midst of that, we need to maintain a belief that if we brainstorm and we put one foot in front of the other and we do what we need to do, we can achieve good outcomes. Um, our behavior actually does matter. Absolutely. It does matter. Absolutely. And on that same topic, uh, it's funny, just this semester, I decided to start teaching at a university course, organizational behavior and resilience. And I love talking to these new up and coming future leaders of the world and uh, sharing with them you know, the importance of positive psychology and the management of human capital, as they say. But um, the one thing that we have talked about, and one thing I'd love to get your opinion on, is this idea and the importance of positive feedback and its role in motivating mm -hmm. others. Because in the book, you say that instead of focusing on what needs improvement, we should spend more time praising others' accomplishments. So can you talk to us a little bit about that and about positive feedback? Yes, absolutely. So I've, I've done a lot of work with consulting companies. It's so funny, a consultant going into a consultant <laughs> company, but <laughs> I'm like, I get you. I know where you're at. Um, and, you know, consulting companies are full of type A personalities, yep. which is, I, I can be one too. I'm working mm -hmm. on it. But um, <laughs> what that often means is that they are very much, we are very much seeking to understand what we need to improve upon, how we can do it. I need your feedback because I need to know what's broken so I can fix it. 
Um, and I think that to a point, that's a good strategy. It's good to know what our deficits are or things we can work on and then work to improve upon them. But I think too often we focus too much on that and we forget that we all have these unique and amazing strengths. And sometimes our strengths can vastly overpower the the things that aren't working as well. Meaning that if you come to a, a project and you bring those elements of your character and your personality and who you are that are so powerful and so strong, you're doing them so well, then that can uh, match up really nicely with the other members of the team's strengths. And together you can collectively create an incredible outcome um, versus always focusing on what's wrong. So I think to your question, feedback, feedback is really important. We need to be mindful who we're getting the feedback from, what it's about and how it's going to serve us. Uh, We need trusted sources, people who really can truly see us and are, are giving us this feedback for our benefit and for good. And then we, it's also important, I think, to, seek out sources that see the great in us, not even just the good in us, but the great in us and can reflect that back. So we understand what it looks like when we're using our strengths and then how we can use those even more. Mm, Absolutely love that. It's one of those things that I think managers need to continue to work on and positive feedback is something that your employees need. And I don't know what it is and and maybe you, you have a better understanding of this, but I'm finding that maybe some of the older generations, some of the senior executives out there that I've worked with personally have had this opinion. So maybe others out there do not necessarily see this. But I find that maybe with a lot of older executives, they look at their employees and not very good at giving positive feedback because millennials today are, you know, maybe they need a lot more positive reinforcement, positive encouragement, positive feedback because they don't know how where they're doing. And they need that positive reassurance that, hey, I'm doing a good job. But there's this idea out there still that, well, and I've heard this, this is why I'm saying it. I've heard this from a few people. Well, you have a job still, so obviously you're doing a good job. I'm like, no, like, no, that's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough. If you're listening to this right now, you need to do better at that. You need to do better at bringing positive feedback into the organization and sharing that with your people. Well, and, and there, so there's a bit of a catch 22 in all of this, because I think all that you're saying is so on point. Um, the challenge is that, and these are broad brushstrokes, and I, I oftentimes don't like broad brushstrokes because they mm-hmm. miss, obviously, the nuances. Yes. But so there's a lot now coming out about how uh, millennials and, and now younger generations are growing up with so much positive reinforcement, but mm. it's not substantial in my mind, substantial reinforcement. Um, the reason I say that is uh, a kid does something small that might be age appropriate, but is not that amazing. It's incredible. You're so great, right? So uh, I think, let's say for millennials, they grew up with a lot of that and mm-hmm. hearing how great they are, they maybe don't didn't understand as much the uh, the work ethic. I mean, these are some people are making these arguments, right? And then maybe they get to a, a workplace where the boss is much older and is like, has that attitude of like, yeah, you have a job, so you're fine. I'm not going to go chasing after you, telling you how perfect you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So all of that set to the side, what we're finding in the research is that if the bosses can praise, it's good for them. It's good for their teams. It's good for the collective well-being of the organization. And it's good for the financial bottom line of the organization, mm-hmm. but they have to do it in a very 
particular way. Otherwise, it's just more of the rah-rah, here's a medal for showing up at yes. the soccer game on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, the way to do it, and, and this is based upon the work of Carol Dweck, which I know a lot of people are familiar with, is don't praise the outcome, praise the effort that went into that outcome. If a project goes over well at work and uh, you win the deal, yeah, winning the deal in and of itself is awesome, right? People mm-hmm. already know that that's great. That's the win. But so if you're going to, if the boss is going to praise, we really need to go after what were the particular actions and behaviors of the team members and specific to each one of them that led to the success. The reason why that's so powerful is that a it's reinforcing the belief that our behavior matters right Mm -hmm. and b then the employees say hey i did really well in these particular domains this is stuff that i can bring the next time they're more Mm -hmm. conscious and aware of it the reason i mentioned it's good for the boss as well is that the boss can i'm sure (laughs) managers can oftentimes very quickly see the problems with each of their employees, right? The things that they need to work on and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. What we're doing here in those moments where we're being really conscious about how we praise and sharing that praise is it's forcing our brain to consciously look for all the things that the employees are doing right and really well. And like I mentioned, there was that study, the boss, all he started doing of his team was praising one person new and different each day, for a period of three weeks, ideally with an earshot of a couple other people on the team and giving that effort-based praise, and that shot the entire team's level of productive energy up by 31% in that wow. three-week time. I love that. Again, just the importance of bringing that positive feedback. And I always want to make sure that we're making time for that because I know that that's something that maybe some of you managers out there aren't making enough time to do. So hopefully that's some stimulus, a good reminder for you to make time for positive feedback, positive reinforcement. Uh, but I like the challenge there as well for millennials to say like, well, you know, millennials, you have grown up with a whole ton of, you know, positive feedback, like, Hey, you came in last place, but you still get a ribbon for, for trying. And there's no wins or losses. Y'all did great. You're all winners. Yay. You know, and that's not reality, right? In reality, there's winners and there's losers, right? You win and you fail. And from your failures and your losses, those should be your greatest opportunities to learn. And so, um, it's important to also recognize that balance as well, the other side of the coin, but regardless, there's a, three-step process that I read in the book that I truly love that I want to pull out and share with everybody listening today. And um, it's this idea that you can use stress to your advantage. Again, you fail, you have a misstep, you have a setback, all bad things, bad things. But you're saying that you can use stress to your advantage and dig into um, this three-step process to solve stressful problems. It's isolate the stressful thought, list the facts you know, and list fueling facts that illuminate a new story. Could you lead us through those three? Yeah, absolutely. So the one thing to think about is if you look back over the course of your lifetime, the sometimes the most uh, formative experiences you've had were also the most stressful, right? Mm -hmm. So those are, uh, while they are not fun as you're going through them, they oftentimes end up being this amazing gift for you because, you know, we transform, we grow, we learn. And, and I always think learning is a gift, uh, through start process I call fact checking. And it's where we fact check something that's causing us stress. So then that you experience, uh, some stress and, you know, oftentimes it's going to be the same stress you experienced maybe a month before, right? Cause like, if you're like me, you stress about the same five things over and over. Um, <laughs> I encourage 
everyone to take out a piece of paper and write down in one sentence that negative or stressful thought. Really get clear with what is happening. Uh, the reason why I say that is sometimes that can be a good exercise in and of itself. Mm-hmm. If we're stressing about our kid not getting into college, but our kid is 12, then maybe we need to think about what the real stress is. Maybe the real stress is that they don't seem to be loving reading and that can have lasting implications, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I, um, I, I often share a, an example of a very universal one. I'm never going to finish this project in time, mm-hmm. right? If you think about that, I'm really stressed. I'm never going to finish this project in time. Well, the first set of facts would be, well, of course not. I'm not going to finish this project because I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I have, uh, other deadlines that I have to deal with. Uh, my colleagues are swamped. I can't even ask them to help. I've got my son's recital later this week. I don't have enough time. I'm never going to finish this project in time. So those are the facts that your brain is focusing on right now. Uh, and so what we're then trying to do is create a separate set of facts that don't try to dispute the original set, but instead are just facts that are equally true, but we're, our brain is not focusing on them. Mm. So these are resources, successes, wins, relationships, anything that we can leverage or have happened in the past that are positive that help our brain ultimately calm down and see a new picture. So with this, it would be, okay, well, if I'm going to be fair, you know, I've actually been at this company for four years already, and I've never needed a deadline extension before. And, and also actually, yeah, those three guys at work, they are swamped. I'm not going to be able to ask them, but Mm -hmm. two other people, I bet you could ask them to write just small pieces of the proposal to help out. And that would help. And, oh, wait, speaking of proposal, I have a template on Mm. my computer from a proposal I handed in six months ago, and that was really well received. So I'll use that as a jumping off point. And, and if I were to add up the number of hours between nine and six, between now and the deadline, I do have more than 20 hours I could devote to this project. Mm. Right. And so that just feels so much better. Um, And the reason so the reason why we make that second list is we're really looking for other facts that we can get our brain to focus on, if nothing more, to rebalance the picture. But the hope there is that we're quieting our amygdala, right, our fight or flight Mm -hmm. center of our brain, the stress part of our brain, and we're getting our brain to a better state to then pick the next steps that we're going to take to start you know, accomplishing the thing that we have on our to-do list or dealing with the challenge. Mm, love that. Extremely tactical uh, approach to um, helping you deal with stressful problems. I love that because we all face stressful problems. We're, sorry, you're all going to face it. You're probably going to face it this week. Maybe if not this week, next month, it's going to happen. But there's always better ways to deal with stressful problems in your life. And uh, Michelle just gave us a great tactic for all of you to put uh, into practice right away. Love that. Yeah. And and the thing about this also is if any of us have ever gotten a pep talk from friends or given it to ourselves, like it's okay, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. You know, that lasts for the good stuff lasts for like five minutes. Right. And then our brain goes right back to that state. Whereas where, when we're finding facts, true information, no matter what, our brain can't go back exactly where it was before because it just has a different picture to focus on. Great point. I'm glad you followed it up because, uh, again, it just it sells that even further as to why you should do that. Love that. So as we kick into the very last golden nugget here, I want to talk about negative influences because dealing with negative people, it's a common problem. You face yeah. it. I face it. Everyone faces this. It happens in and out of the workplace, in your family, in the community, whatever. And negative people 
have very strong feelings. Um, they're quick to blame others. It takes a toll on you. It takes a toll on the colleagues. It takes a toll on the culture, your mental, your physical health. It can even drive people to quit their jobs in an organization. When you think about negative energy, think of it like a wildfire and it's overtaking innocent bystanders. So with this negative energy, we got to find a way to deal with this. So you have three options that people have when dealing with toxic negative personalities. So lead us through those. It's retreat, regroup, and reenter. Help us understand those. Um, so I think first, before those three steps sure. that I, I have come to see since writing the book that I, I think is, has a, an epiphany for me mm. and I hope helpful to everyone is I one day was, I was thinking about one person in particular in my life who is negative mm. and, um, and I said, and it just kind of occurred to me and maybe some people have a thought like, duh, I already knew this, but I really now see that negativity is merely expressed suffering. When someone is being negative, something is not going well for them, whether they're conscious of it, the reason behind it, they understand what's going on or not. But I believe negativity is merely expressed suffering. The reason why I think ha being able to see somebody, see their negativity and understand that it is, is expressed suffering is so important is that then the next step is we instantly have compassion for them, yes. right? Because when we're caught up in our own suffering, we know how much it pains us. So in order to be able to uh, meet somebody where they are, I think just holding that thought in the mind can be really helpful. Um, now, meanwhile, I do think retreating, regrouping, and reentering can be really good <laughs> um, if you're dealing with somebody on a regular basis who's being really negative. Uh, a lot of this takes con being conscious about the person and what they're going through and that you're going to see them again. And so you kind of have a plan, but basically if someone's being negative, you just retreat. If, if you have given it a go, if you've tried to help them see a new picture, a new reality, if you've talked to them about whatever is they're experiencing, if they're being angry towards you or negative towards you, it is absolutely okay to retreat. Mm -hmm. It's okay to have boundaries. Oftentimes I think people who, and I've done this too, who are ex experiencing negativity from a family member, they'll just say, well, I don't really have a choice, right? Because this person mm -hmm. is my fill in the blank of their of relation to you. So, um, but just because our family member does not mean that they have, or just because they're a boss or just because they're on your team or just because they're the person that you see every Sunday at church, it doesn't mean that it's okay for them to be you know, bombarding your life with that negativity. Then I think the most important step is regrouping. Regrouping is where you recharge your happiness battery. If you can do some of those positive habits that we've been able to identify, then that helps bolster your own positive resources and makes it basically creates a better buffer for you uh, the next time you encounter them or the next time you encounter somebody else who's being negative. Real quick, the ones I like the most each day, uh, get out of your journal or on mm. your phone or wherever you like, write down three new and unique things you're grateful for and why. The habit, once you get going, takes 45 seconds a day, but it, again, reorients your attention to the good things in life. Right. The other one I love is, and this is great for those bosses we were talking about earlier, uh, send a positive two-minute email each day to someone new and different, mm -hmm. praising or thanking them. Uh, this nice. quick note, if you start your day with it, you're 
pushing your brain up into a positive place. You're realize, you're helping your brain see all the social connection you have in your life. Social connection is the greatest predictor of happiness that we have in the research. Um, so after you uh, re- bolster your positive resources and you have regrouped them, re-enter the fray with the person that's being negative, but do it really strategically. I, I talk about having this two-minute drill So you have a two minute encounter with somebody. So I think in the book I talked about um, if you have to get some information from a colleague who's extremely negative, okay, go to their office. Don't sit down. Ask Mm -hmm. them for, you know, say something nice. Oh, isn't the weather beautiful today? (laughs) Ask them the question, get the information, say one more nice thing, make it very generic and get out of there. You don't Mm -hmm. need to have overexposure with this person. Really consciously think about how you're going to interact with them um, and uh, do it in a way that limits the exposure and the time with them. Uh, and because ultimately this is a protective factor for you. This is, this is you doing good for you. Oh, absolutely. I, I love that. I posed the question to you, but you stopped and you paused and you just said, you know, like, as I wrote this, I came to this epiphany as I'm learning and as it is in life, right? Like we are always learning, we're constantly growing. And the one thing that you mentioned was negativity is expressed suffering. That is going to stick with me for the rest of my life, this interview right here. And I hope that it sticks with all of you. Like, because what it does is it increases compassion, increases self-awareness, and it gets us out of this judgment mode, which, again, is just a part of our primitive monkey brain programming. Our brain is trying to figure out the, the world around us. It's trying to find the quickest way from point A to point B. It's just trying to make sense of things. And so our brain yeah. naturally forms judgments on people, which are often unfair. We might attribute something that's happening very situational and apply it to their worldview of, oh, this person is a jerk. Therefore, they must always be a jerk. They're just a jerk, and I'm going to write them off. No, that's not necessarily the case, right? If someone is also being negative, maybe they're in a really bad state of life, right? You don't know what's happening to them personally, what's going on in their family, with their finances, with their health. Increase your empathy, increase your compassion, and that's just what you asked everyone to do. And I, Michelle, like I'm telling you, I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life today. So I hope that oh, it, it impacts all it. of you as well. So again, this the great conversation. I, I love talking to you here. And it was just such an honor to have you back on the, or have you on the show. I got to get you back on. But this one, everybody got to go pick this one up. Broadcasting happiness, the science of igniting and sustaining positive change. Michelle Gielen, you are a true pleasure to talk to. And if anybody wants to follow up with you or connect with you, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, so search my name and uh, come to my website. It's michellegeelan.com. And uh, I encourage people to do so because if you uh, click on the resources tab, especially there's other things around the website, but resources, there are two scientifically validated scales that we've created, the stress responder scale and the success scale. So you can test your mindset. You'll get a, your scores and an interpretive report and it's all nice. freely available. Um, and then we also have all kinds of other resources that I, including videos and articles and things that I've written, um, which, you know, I write all that stuff with the aim to spread this research and empower others to do the same. Um, Ryan, you're a true pleasure. You're amazing. I, I want to take your class. I, I would love to <laughs> have the opportunity to sign up. I think you'd be a fantastic teacher. That's awesome. <laughs> M- Michelle, thank you so much. And I got to get you back on the show. This is too much fun. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> right All right, there we have it. That is Broadcasting Happiness by my friend Michelle Geelan. 
Love this episode. Love talking. We've got to get her back on the show. And I will. And when we do, we'll have the golden nuggets for that one too. So don't forget, if you listen to this whole thing, go to Get Abstract. They are doing a solid job over there. And uh, they're making the golden nuggets available to you. So again, go to GetAb. That is G-E-T-A-B dot L-I slash R-X-X happiness. And you can get the all the golden nuggets from this episode from them. They're doing us a solid. I'm... Too busy to be doing the Golden Nuggets, the mind maps like I did early on in the show, but they have done it themselves and uh, I truly love this company because, um, you know, they're really doing us a, a solid service here by condensing everything else down for us. So again, you got it on podcast format, you got it in written format, go ahead, get it because it's only available for seven days. So once the seven days is done, it's gone. So definitely take advantage of that today. All right, my friends, that is a wrap for today. So again, thank you so much for tuning in to the Cut the Crap Show as part of the Resilience Prescription. We'll catch you back here tomorrow with an episode of Create Your Eight. Make it a great day, everybody. Talk soon.